When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today about Lyudmila Khersonska's Today is a Different War, published by Aerosmith Press in 2023. The volume is translated by Olga Livshin, Lev Friedman, Andrew Janko, and Maya Chhabra. My guests today are Olga Livshin. She's a poet, translator, and essayist. Her poems, translations, and essays are published in the Kenyan Review, Poetry International, and Modern Poetry in Translation. Her recent work also includes a Life Replaced, poems with translations from Anna Akhmatova and Vladimir Gandelsman, published in 2019. And she's co-translator with Andrew Jenko and Anna Halberstadt of A Man Only Needs a Room by Vladimir Gandelsman, published in 2022. She holds a PhD in Slavic languages and literature, and she taught full-time at the university level before focusing on her poetry and translation. Leo Friedman is a speech-language pathologist based in New York City. He has facilitated translation projects and publications, and he is a co-editor of Quiet Spiders of the Hidden Soul, Mykola Bajan's early experimental poetry, which was published in 2020. And his own writings and translations have appeared in various venues, including Ugly, Duckling Press, Odessa Review, and The Cafe Review. Andrew Jenko is a digital scholarship programmer at the University of Pennsylvania. He holds a PhD in history from the University of Chicago. With Olga Livshin, he had a few collaborative projects, including Words for War, New Poems from Ukraine, which was published in 2017. Uh, hello, Olga, Lev, Andy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, so I'm, I'm really um, looking forward to this discussion of this very uh, important volume. Today is a different uh, war by Lyudmila Khersonska. And of course, we were all hoping that the circumstances would be different today. However, we are entering the second year of Russia's war against um, Ukraine. But before we focusing on the volume itself, could you please introduce Lyudmila Khersonska to our listeners, to our audiences? So Ludmila Khersonska is a wonderful poet and translator from English into Russian. Her city is Odessa, which is in Ukraine, and she is the author of four poetry collections in Russian. And now in English, um, her previous work, although collab, well, not so much collaborative as, I guess, um, comprising two authors, um, came out with her husband, the poet Boris Khersonsky. And that came out in English translation from Lost Horse Press. And it is titled, The Country Where Everyone's Name is Fear. I love that title. Um, Kersonska strikes me as an incredible personality, an incredible voice, in that um, her voice is both ferocious and kind. It is ferocious towards the invader of Ukraine, and it is um, kind and nuanced in its compassion towards the inhabitants who have to endure this ongoing terrible war. Um, and at that confluence, I um, was, I've been reading Ludmilla's work and Andy and I translated several poems for um, Words for War and then later for um, The Country Where Everyone's Name is Fear. So we had read some of these beautiful poems, um, beautifully tragic comic. Um, and then when um, Russia's full-scale invasion 
began last year um, on February 24th, we saw in the coming month even a stunning series of poems come out and just she just posted them on Facebook mm -hmm. and it was War Day 1, War Day 2, War Day 3. Um, and I think we were all struck by that and drawn to this form of a war diary but made up of poems. So how does this lyrical voice um, enter the form of war diary? What can it say about those topics of enduring um, the war, in particular enduring it as a woman, as somebody who traditionally manages the house, who has to figure out the practical logistics of what happens when there is a bombing, what happens when we are planting a plant and there are drones flying overhead. Um, and she just responds so with such, you know, so fiercely. Um, I was really drawn to that, and I saw that Maya Chabra was translating those poems. So was I, and um, I thought it would be great to have a short book of poems that focus primarily, but not exclusively, on those war poems. And that's how today's A Different War kind of began. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Andy or Lev have various things to add. But it sounds like you worked with Lyudmila Hersonska before uh, translating this volume. Uh, Lev, uh, Andy, what's your personal connection to this volume? Um, I'd been reading um, Boris Hersonsky for a long time on Facebook. A lot, of, a lot of this is happening through Facebook. It's been... I mean, it's been War Day One, but I mean, War Day One was much, much earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, if if only 2014. You know, and we're talking about people that came from the communist era and uh, everything that that implies. But um, uh, I'd just been sort of reading and following along, and the different voices that. Um, came on with the different uh, events. And then, uh, I mean, everything changed again, really changed again. And it wasn't only that these poems were being published in real time as things were happening in real time. They were all, it was also the feedback that they were getting. Um, there was block after block after block by Facebook, you know, um, and then Boris would be reposting these poems and saying, Ludicka has, has yet again been put in the corner for another month, you know, during which she wrote up another month of war, which was still happening, although Facebook decided that it should be ignored. And so on it went. And then Olga um, invited me to translate some of these. And uh, I was, you know, both intrigued and absolutely terrified but went for it anyway, and luckily they just kept coming out and the events kept happening. So there was pl plenty of impetus and material and at a certain point. We weren't sure when to stop, not where to start. Mm -hmm. um, is it your first time working on uh, Lyudmila uh, Hersonska's poems as a translator? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Andy? Uh, the only thing I'd add is that I think when the, the invasion happened in February. Uh, a lot of people were really adjusting and trying to make sense of it because there was a lot of thought that, oh, this is just a military exercise. And for everyone, you know, making sense that, no, this is actually happening. And so uh, Olga was a part of, of this group with the, the other people that were in Words for War that organized a reading. And so I think it was this really important moment where the poets got to read their work and they got to share it in translation. And we just sort of got to see each other and actually sort of make sense of what was happening together. Uh, and I know a lot of people that weren't in Ukraine, uh, it was really an important moment to sort of connect and see like these these are people that are still where I'm from or these are people that I, I know I knew growing up and to sort of connect with them uh, and that this project kind of grew out of that moment. And um, that's how uh, the volume opens, right? It The first poem is actually titled War, Day One. Um, and uh, 
I'm wondering, well, I, and I think Liev already touched upon this a little bit about this meaning of war. So the um, volume is titled Today is a Different War. So why is it different and what war is meant in this volume? Uh, what's your um, interpretation? What's your um, perception of this volume? Since um, I, I, I totally agree with what uh, Liev just mentioned that... Um, there are multiple wars that every individual will be somehow dealing with, but there is maybe some internal war, but there is some war that really brings physical destruction. And this will be a different war, and this will be uh, some struggle fight that will entail different repercussions. So um, if you could share your uh, views on the title and on that nature of war that Lyudmila Hersonska delivers to the audience. Uh, I would appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so my impression of um, what happened, uh, which of course is still happening, so it's going to be necessarily partial um, and incomplete, is that um, for a long time, much of Ukraine was not yet attacked. And people lived for nearly a decade with the sense that, oh, well, it's kind of not my problem, although I am seeing advertisements for coffins on TV. That became a regular topic of discussion, and certain kinds of literature were written. Um, Artem Chekh's um, uh, uh, great novel about um, being um, in the military and being by the border, for example. Um, but in an interview, he also says that maybe literature was not as relevant and who knows how widely read it was. But um, in Words for War, uh, new, poetry, uh, new Poems from Ukraine, the editors, Oksana Maksimchuk and Baxter Sochinsky, um, make the claim that poets are especially sensitive to the goings-on in their country. They're, they have a social consciousness and they have a sort of sensitivity that allow for um, an earlier detection and um, reflection and um, response to what was happening. Um, so even before um, the full-scale invasion, the poem after which we titled the volume Today's a Different War was written on September 24th, 2016. There is a date. And um, when, I, when we read it, and this was translated by Maya, um, it really does feel as if um, Ludmilla was prescient because we feel an intensification of um, destruction, and we feel a fuller scale of violence. I'm going to read this poem, and please feel free to excerpt however much you like from this. Today is a different war, not the one from yesterday. Today is harder, heavier. Rain drizzling down since morning. Today's cold somehow, like when a wall's damp. Today the war is different. We'll die from a different war. Everything's a little bit mortal, arms, legs, stomach. Everything's a little bit eternal, living in blood and smoke. It lives at the shelter and at home, in ruins and dust. Today the war is raw, the cold comes from the ground. Here's a man killed, bricks all around him. The war gave him orders, lie quiet, don't cry out. Pose for the video camera, smile in your sleep, or rather smile in death. Make sure you thank the war. Now you'll be famous, shown on all the news. The man lies posing on bones, on bones. September 24th, 2016. Um, so the sense that everything is a little bit mortal, as if it could be, um, the sense that we could all be attacked at any point um, comes through in this poem. And it also came through in interviews that um, we've done with, uh, or discussions online that we've done with Ludmila following um, uh, the full-scale invasion. Um, and what she said is, uh, it is as if one, one wanted to um, hide um, in the previous years. One wanted to be um, left alone. Um, and yet, the, um, there is something ominous. Um, there is another poem here that I will not read um, in detail, but it's titled, um, and I think the title says it all, Hide Under a Blanket um, and Pull It Over Your Head. Mm -hmm. 
that Mila said that it just came to her on a late um, cold night and that there was something in her that was saying, well, surely they won't attack in winter. It's too cold for them to attack. Mm-hmm. And yet, of course, we know that's exactly when it happened. Um, uh, so the intensification and the broader scale of the invasion, I think, were, um, are what, what is different about it. And I think, but I do think that she saw it long before February of last year. Thank you. Thank you, Olga. Yeah, I mean, as I was listening, uh, there's another poem, War Day Nine, that gets at this, you know, this question of war. And, and there's an image here that the bottom of the sea is almost here. And so she's trying to capture sort of this feeling of everything churning, everything kind of turning upside down and normal life just kind of uh, breaking apart. But it's also part of this sort of, there's this idea that, you know, just back when a generation ago, the the ground churned. So in part that, you know, this idea of another war, that this there's sort of this war, this this capacity in, in other people to do these kinds of things that we see in war, that it's there. It's, and she has these really beautiful images about, you know, the, the sea sort of coming up uh, and um, really exposing all of this side of humanity that we often don't see during peacetime. And we, we sort of think that we've we've um, moved beyond, but that, you know, with this return of history and the, this sort of, sort of shock of a war, uh, that we didn't think would, could happen. Uh, I think it, that War Day 9 uh, poem really captures that very well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Leo, well, that was a follow-up on your uh, comment, but maybe you would like to somehow elaborate on your idea uh, more. So d- disclaimer, cliches follow. Um, you know, today is a different war. Today, I mean, I'm going to state the obvious. Today's a different day, right? <laughs> Except... You know, and you, you've heard this, we've heard, we've heard these tropes now, where were you for the last eight years, you know, but also, it, there is no February 25th. It's February 24th. Mm-hmm. Right? It's been February 24th. Mm-hmm. There, have, there hasn't been a single day that, are, that something hasn't hit something, that something hasn't, you know, flown in, as they say. But here we have days numbered. Here we have days and how people... It is a different day. It is a different war. And uh, you can um, interpret it any number of ways, but you do have a, a book that is a testament also to, I mean, this isn't an anthology of a dead person. This is a record of a living person that is still living and probably has a poem today. You know, maybe more than one. And hopefully we'll, or maybe hopefully not, we'll have one tomorrow or maybe about something else. But... Um, it applies in pretty much, it applies more than it doesn't, this particular trope. And I wanted to say that, um, this is a really, I think this is really important what uh, you just said, Lev, about, um, waking up and just kind of, um, feeling as if this is still Groundhog Day, um, that the same events repeat. And it may be strategic somehow to the enemy or not, but to you, it's still there's this prevailing sense of why is this still happening? Um, and it, it's in the poem that you translated, Lev, that I was wondering if maybe you could read it for us. It's on page 30, War Day 13. There's that idea of um, killing. What for? What the hell for? <laughs> yeah, these are hard to read and these are hard to uh, listen to. And we've looked at them a couple of times, let's just say each one of them, but they're still hard to read. We read them to, as, uh, as Olga said, we, we read them to Ludmila the other day. I was reading on uh, on the Zoom connection from a, from a rainy car, and uh, it, it's like we looked at them all again for the first time, and she looked at them again. And uh, it's just as hard now, and probably will be as hard now, and should be as hard. So with that being said, where are you driving off to? All of them going, but where? In an asphalt road like icy mica, women, the young and grown, suitcases, children, sacks, cars, buses, trucks. Whose cat is this? Whose? It's my cat. Mine. To put my arms around my quivering belly. First fear lives in your belly and in basements. But still, really, whose cat? Who is still anybody else is here? Or maybe they're all nobody, 
like ants from a crushed anthill. Some two-legged creature walked by, trampled it with his feet. The question mark stripped down, scared punctuation. And here we have probably two dozen question marks right after that point. I'm not sure how to read it out loud, but it's, it's there. Kill for what? What the hell for? Again? Today? Didn't they already do it just yesterday? What is this monstrous game, hybrid war, a blue internet whale, that came up from the virtual world? Someone will die. Someone will be left to live. Someone with a forgotten mouth will live but never tell what happened. Um, there is some... There is some profound sense of, uh, I would say, existential disorientation that the volume evokes. And, of course, sense of loss and sense of lostness as well. And as I was reading the volume, I felt like this, um, of course, the focus is the individual. But there is this intention to cover everything that is impacted by this destruction, including, of course, sites, cultural sites or just infrastructure sites and including animals and pets and uh, I would like to um, just read a couple of lines from this poem tw uh, page 12 um, the rushes are firing the rushes are firing at some strategic locations shell-shocked cows wounded dogs deafened cats silenced birds dolphins cast out onto the beach dolphins who are like people they mourn their loved ones. Cows cry just like people, and cats cry, and dogs cry. This dog has deep furrows along her face from the unending flow of her tears. This, this poem um, made me think about, of course, apocalyptical uh, consequences of this total destruction. But also there is this um, intention to somehow structure what's going on to somehow explain what's going on and the poem that was read previously just doesn't doesn't give any kind of answers there are no answers and then there is another poem as well and i believe um it's um page uh 15 uh, page 15 um buried in a human neck a bullet and it ends with many questions how long must we put up with the flags, the trumpets calling us into the fray? What beast has awakened? Where did our special forces land? Who shot the man in the back? Who gave the command? Who will bury him? And what's the rate? I'm wondering how, how we can answer all these questions and what these questions um, tell us about how to um, move forward, right, after witnessing all the destruction and whether Ludmila Hersonska can help us somehow um, approach this process of healing uh, because the process of healing will be part of victory, but how it can take place and whether we can um, get some hints how to move on after witnessing uh, the atrocious uh, crimes committed by Russia. If I can uh, jump in. I think that um, Ludmila's work in this uh, book, and uh, the poems that we selected, is purposely um, uh, to ask questions that are rhetorical and that express um, the speaker's indignation. There are less questions than there are accusations. Mm -hmm. She strikes me as akin to two possible cultural antecedents, if you will. Um, one is a, a figure, usually female, that occurs in so many cultures from ancient Persia to um, until recently village Russia um, and Russian, which this book was translated from and which is my native language, although I'm from Odessa, Ukraine, uh, we have this concept of plakalshitsa. Mm. It is typically a woman who at funerals helps people cry. When we hold emotions inside ourselves, they can be destructive. They can turn to anger and to violence um, and to hatred, which I am witnessing mm -hmm. these days. And so to be able to um, to turn from anger and hatred to grief in and of itself, and to be able to cry is really important. 
the second figure is a little bit different in that it deals differently with anger. Um, I'm thinking of the various um, Greek deities, um, both gods and goddesses, who um, would get angry. And they, um, they were sort of the ones that held that anger and delivered it and said, this is an injustice. Um, and that we're very clear and upfront with these demands. Who will bury him? What is the rate? Mm-hmm. Who, is, who gave this person? Why is this happening? Why is war a feature of contemporary society if we know that it's so destructive? Um, so I think that rather than move forward in the grand scheme of things, I think this is a stop for both anger making, anger expressing, and possibly um, helping us um, turn to grief during this horrible time while the war is still going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Olga. I think uh, a pivotal moment will be when the Khersonskis get back to their cats. <laughs> you know, when they get those books. I mean, this is all these these poems, you know, uh, often there aren't, there's no names. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a single name in this whole book. You know, um, these cats are real. You know, these books that are in the glass of the, you know, blocking up the windows, all these books collected through a lifetime just to keep the shards from flying in. They're real. I want them back on the bookshelves. You know, I want them to get the cats back from the neighbors. Lev, um, would you mind telling a little bit about um, what the Hersonskis did before they left and maybe give us a couple of lines from the poem? I can find it. Yeah, if you could find the poem, I, I could find the, the reality from what I remember from a... Uh, from a Facebook post, and this is also, you know, every, everything is just, just as the, just as the war is online, blue internet whale, you know, it's hard. so is uh, the ongoing of these these poems. I mean, I, I saw a Facebook post one day as I was wondering what was happening to these two people that were writing. Um, that we just took all our books and we lined the windows. We handed the cats, I believe, over to our neighbors, and we're leaving. You know, so part of in in uh, you know, pardon my uh, my idyllic childish mind. Um, I, I think part of uh, is part of reunification is uh, you know people being reunited with what's left. Hopefully, the cats are left. Um, in um, in War Day Ten, um, yeah, they gathered up all the books they'd written. She talks of her of her own self. You know. Again, these are people with names. It's her name, in fact. And piled them high in heaps on the windowsill and pressed them to the window, little and big. Uh, the books held fast, defending the room, books against missiles, against shrapnel. Um, and then the, the book's titles are also there. And, uh, you know, you imagine that, 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 you know, that meme, that picture of, uh, I think it was Piaget with the, the books that are ominously hanging over his head and about to about to fall all over him and then you imagine just this, this collection of books collected over a lifetime being used as uh, for insulation so people get back to their books people get back to their cats to their children people come back from the front then we can heal and there is some sense of resilience and resistance in this kind of um, getting back to um, whatever is left behind or was left behind. And um, in, in some sense, I'm following up on um, Olga's comment, uh, which was made earlier about portraying women as fighting in this war. And there are poems where um, women are presented, uh, are portrayed as warriors, right? Um, somewhere at the beginning. Yeah, I would love to read one of these if you don't mind. And I think that you're right. That the this is a much clearer statement of resistance. Um, there is um, something very tragic about exposing one's books, one's works to shrapnel. Um, on a different level, of course, it is insulating us quite literally with culture. Mm-hmm. There's sort of still that wonderful belief in um, literature as shielding us somehow. That works symbolically on that poem, but it, there is something very. Um, vulnerable about it as well. Um, so uh, I wanted to read War Day 4. Um, Lev, is that okay? I know it sounds like you feel pretty strongly about yeah, this other poem, but you're welcome to read. 
Okay, War Day 4. This is actually how my um, love affair with um, Ludmilla's war poems um, began in earnest. And I thought, I, this has to be a book. There are probably more poems coming. And we just kept compiling. Um, war Day 4. On the eve of the war, I bought rhododendrons. I went out to plant them. Over our roof, drones. An air raid siren is buzzing. The air defense pounding. It's nothing. I am not scared. I'll have time to plant. It's nothing. The tiny cat grew huge with raised fur from the loud crash. Music pours in from the window, a cantata by Bach. The sun peaks from the sky. A drone flies. Somebody else's ugly things thump from every side. What is this rattling beast that shoots and shoots? What bald Putin celebrates this war like some satanic marriage? Shame, disgust. Someone with horns. Someone who needs a slingshot. I planted my plant, watered it, squinted at the evil heaven. Wherever you are, bald demon, I wish you weren't. You old-fashioned, retrograde, cunning narc. Gramps from the past, a cop's used-up cigarette butt. Why the hell would I need your planes, your bombs, snouts, pilots? I live here. It's here that I plant flowers. And your war in these parts is a weird alien creature. I breathed. I watched. I waited. I watched the birds fly away from their execution by firing squad. I still don't know. How can I try? How will we get the little devils to die? That was translated by Andy and me. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Olga. This is the uh, poem that I also marked for myself uh, in connection to this conversation about resilience and uh, resistance. According to Lyudmila Khersonska, what what actually helps to resist? Writing helps. Writing helps. Being being vocal helps. Um, in our book, it's uh, getting up in the morning and uh, gardening, even with the drones, um, burying the dead, um, checking in on one another. There's there's a there's a sense in this book of uh, under under underpinning community. And the, these poems are being read. Like that's that's the thing. I, I I keep coming back to this, but War Day One was read by people mm-hmm. before War Day Two. Mm-hmm. You know, it was commented on to the writer. The, the writer thought about things. The writer then wrote Day Two, Day Three, Day Four, Day Five. So there's a living and breathing home of uh, of community and of uh, resistance already this this book is is endurance this book literally page by page mm-hmm. so i'm not i'm not going to belabor this cliche too mm-hmm. too much longer mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah i just i'd add with the the plants and animals and things like that that it, it really is kind of a counterpoint to a lot of the the rhetoric and the sort of reality creation that you see on the russian side so i mean there's a, a really wonderful poem about irises that's similar to the poem olga just read where these plants, they're sort of, they're real and you can touch them and you can plant them. And, and you know, to say like, you know, to mock this idea, like we denazified your irises, like just sort of taking that language, which has this power and just like, you know, demonstrating its absurdity or that, you know, I think that this, you know, stockpiling biological bees, like, you know, sort of toying with that language and sort of disarming it by presenting something more real and much more familiar and, and Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So this volume was compiled as the poems were still being posted on Facebook, right? So in other words, it was just like work in progress on Facebook and work in progress in translation. Is that, is that Lit- literally? Literally. Literally. We didn't. We at a certain point we we asked ourselves when to stop. <laughs> then we didn't stop. Then we kept going. You know, hey, I'm going to grab that one up. Oh, I just saw this one. 
um, mm-hmm. this one needs to be done. And they kept, they, the, the poems are still being written. It's just we well, we had we had to stop and then mm-hmm. you know start In- editing editing them and, and working on them as opposed to reading them and still reading them. And to what extent has been uh, Lyudmila Khersonska involved in the translation process? Um, she was involved with certain poems throughout, um, and then at other points, as a displaced person, she has had um, other things to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and her husband, Boris Khersonsky, have been in a residency in Umbria, Italy, off and on. And um, these residencies are finite. They have a um, date of when they stop. And I know they've been to Berlin. There's a poem about that, about thinking about registering as refugees. Mm-hmm. It's just not clear. So I think it's been difficult for her to um, comment on every translation. But at the end, she read all of them and um, made suggestions because her English is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's been really gratifying um, to see that. Yeah, I wanted to say something about the print versus online on formats. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I had this conversation with um, the Russian-born Jewish, um, currently American poet uh, Vladimir Druk, who lives in the New York area. Mm-hmm. Um, he was um, excited. Poets who came of age in the 90s in Moscow were excited about the idea of an open form. A book, a book that just could keep going and would be infinite, mm-hmm. and how much, um, how much more um, open a system that would be. This was, of course, in the light of Perestroika and the Soviet Union giving way, um, and uh, Glasnost, um, all of that motivating them, and not wanting a closed system such as a book <laughs> that is mm-hmm. finite um, to put artificial boundaries on what is um, free speech, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were confronted with something similar for this book because the poems kept coming and. Um, um, and yet, I think for myself, and I can't speak for Andy and Lev, maybe you guys want to comment, I wanted these poems out for one particular practical reason. I wanted them out soon. The reason why is that in the beginning of the war, I think a lot of people in the West, and certainly in the United States, uh, were involved. They were donating to charities to help um, children and uh, displaced folks, um, pets. Um, lots of people bought tickets to the Mikolaev Zoo because the revenue went to help the animals. Um, all of that was going on. People bought flags. But um, the 24-hour news cycle is such that I anticipated that this would fade away, as it did. Mm-hmm. Largely, there are still news articles in the Washington Post that I read every day in Ukraine. To, to some extent, it's still a newsworthy item, but the flags have faded and been removed. I just see that around my neighborhood, and it's less a topic of conversation. And yet, the war hasn't stopped. If anything, people are you know accumulating trauma, and so I wanted this to raise further awareness, and you know, to the extent that a lyrical poem can bring you um, awareness. Um, Uh, a few months into the war and to help people uh, feel something regarding what's going on Um, uh, because it's a it's a timely little volume Um, and um, in addition to that it's it's much more than the news it's much more specific and I think Natalia you were you were so correct about how um, individual it is it processes things in the level of a microscopic everyday situation that is just impossible to deal with um, mm-hmm. by one woman. So reading this rather than, than reading what whatever um, strategic battle happened and what weapons were used um, shows a totally different side of that, the receiving side of, of what's happening in that battlefield um, or what was getting bombed. So that was sort of the practical reason. Otherwise, I too would keep going at infinitum. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, this is this is so this is so true that yes, uh, well, Ukraine unfortunately is not covered as much as uh, it was covered right after the beginning of the full-scale invasion. But volumes like this um, help, uh, of course, to bring awareness to the present moment, but also in some long-term project, right? They also bring these questions about the um, value of the uh, human being's life and what is being destroyed and what this destruction on a everyday uh, level can lead to in the future. And the consequences could be disastrous. And I think volumes like this are reminders of 
what probably we have to learn from our uh, life, from our reality, and from other um, history uh, lessons as well. So yes, well, thank you so much for bringing awareness to uh, books, right, in terms not only of uh, documenting what's going on, but also projecting some um, issues for the, for the future. And uh, I wanted to ask this question about uh, the most probably challenging part for the translation uh, in terms of uh, maybe some specificities of the language, uh, what is available in Ukrainian that is not available in English, or maybe vice versa, something becomes more illuminated in English when compared to the original version. I actually just wanted to jump in. I don't have a great answer to this, but I wanted to, um, since we were talking about raising awareness, one of the most interesting things is that we were translating this from translating this from the Russian. In fact, none of us have a full command of Ukrainian. Mine is weak and probably somewhere in the intermediate range. So um, while most voices in uh, Ukrainian poetry have been indeed in Ukrainian, um, this one is in Russian. And it is also true that many people since last February have switched from Russian to Ukrainian. And in fact, Boris started to translate Ludmilla's poems into Ukrainian. And yet language and identity are not language and cultural identity are not the same. Cultural and ethnic identity are also not the same. And so it it, it um, raises interesting questions about um, that. But I will let um, uh, Andy and Lev field this question, and I will think about it for a moment as well. I know, Lev, you had some fascinating slang to translate that was extremely tricky, <laughs> not to put you on the spot. I don't know if you want to discuss that or not. Sorry, I'm just looking for that poem with the tricky term. Matchstick? Yes. Um, yeah, so there was there was this moment. Um, there were a couple. There were a couple of moments. Um, Lizmila often, well, not often, always. In fact, she doesn't introduce terms. She uses them. Um, she just writes. There's, there's, there. She's. It's not. It's not. It's not minimalism. It's just uh, to the point. It's conversational a lot of the time. It's just somebody telling something. Often there's there's a lack of a lack of sometimes punctuation. It's just. It's just thoughts, you know. So sometimes you don't even know that you're coming to a term or that you're coming to a piece of conversation that she heard. And these are one of the things that, and this ties in directly, is and when we were speaking with her after we'd already thought about this term, rethought about this term, and we spoke with her, and she mentioned offhand also that. Uh, so many of these little moments where, you know, there's, for instance, there's a moment of a, a cow being blown to bits. She's like, no, that was, that, that, that was in fact a, a real cow. She's like, I heard that story from a person. Like you never, you never know whether you're hearing, uh, whether it's a general image and it's both, obviously that wasn't the only cow. So in this case, um, the, um, term was a man who is a pencil. That's how it was in Russian. It was Karandash. Uh, um, and uh, so, wow, I mean, I mean, the, this is the what's new, the gawking. And uh, on page 29, this is talking about this prototypical or archetypal rather persona. Um, you know, uh, his turn hasn't come yet. He's on the spectator list. He's our father's fought. He's honest, doesn't poke his head out. And then she sticks the words together. You know, he's potentially new word. And then comes uh, a pencil, um, which we uh, turn into a matchstick. Um, but we were wondering, you know, pencil, what is he a mouthpiece? Is he an edit button that uh, once you start using cliches, you know, uh, you become maybe an, an opening for a bot to step in and speak for you because you're trying not to stick your neck out. You've been perfectly positioned by, you know, by the opposition. Like, what, what is this? This could go so many different ways. 
And we put in matchstick after she explained to us that in the Eastern ter- Territories, uh, Pencil is the name of a person that is, you know, the you know, prime territory for a missile any day now. Hmm. It's, just, it's just a term. You know, it's just a local term for, mm-hmm. you know, getting hit any day now. Mm-hmm. And um, he then used matchstick um, because, you know, you're you're combustible. But you're also, you know, it's sort of a homuncular and it's sort of bent over, hunched over. And that was that was a real moment. Um, there was a, there was another moment um, where she used the term uh, essentially table country mm-hmm. and we weren't sure whether she meant there is a, a relief plateau I believe maybe I thought she was using a geological term but she literally meant the cafeteria you know that this 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 country is a, a neighbor so this country you know cannibalism but again we weren't sure because she literally says that that's a, a table country so we thought are we living in table country is it flat land so Sometimes it was a bit of creativity. And when we messaged her, she's like, oh, I don't even know what to do with this. That'll do, whatever it is that I said. But then later she's, but then later in conversation, she's like, oh, no, that's, that, that, that's a thing. You know, we, we say that, and it was horrible. Just a matchstick person is also horrible. Yeah, these are fascinating stories about how to translate, right? Uh, well, uh, Andy, do you have a story like this? Well, I have a story like that. I've just been thinking about the translation work. I think there's a poem, the All-Russian All Military March, where Olga and I really had to to sort of tread off on our own because the sounds in the original weren't going to be, it's just not something that, you know, it's a very much phonetically, uh, you know, that the, the jumbling of sounds and the mashing of sounds together is really a part of it and so we could do some things like you know we rhyme march and marsh and uh but like their their treads spread eagled one goose bumpy death machine after another uh you know we had to kind of make things up which is you know fun um but you always worry you know because at that point as a, as a translator you're introducing something that makes it more digestible or makes it more you know it makes it sound right in the new language but you lose something of, of what there was in the original uh and there was also some cultural reference there like the uh, gave them ribbons orange and black striped like a potato beetle so these are things that in russian you don't even need to mention like everyone knows black and orange ribbons and has seen them all over the place and Koloradsky Ruk is is known but like I didn't even know that it's a potato beetle so there were definitely some cultural things that we we sort of um, found ways to make a connection and make it sound idiomatic in English. But I, I'm glad that you brought up sounds because when reading the poems, of course, we can. Well, at least, well, I will uh, speak about myself as a reader. Uh, not only, not only can I see things because they're so close to what I'm experiencing, but also sometimes I can hear things, and maybe that's partially because of the rhythm that is used for the poems and how they were translated. And the rhyme in the poem that Andy was reading, we um, took some creative liberties precisely because mm-hmm. we wanted to keep the rhyme scheme A A B B C C D D. It sounds at first glance so free and happy, you know, perfect harmony. And then when you read it, uh, the content is really, uh, you know, <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's about it's about sort of the celebration of death by mm-hmm. machines, mm-hmm. and so. Um, and it's funny because it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pictured in this very par- parody-like way. Um, so the rhyme scheme kind of pushes on the, uh, the content, and the content pushes on the rhyme scheme. Andy, would you mind reading the poem? Oh, I think it's on page. It's also one of my favorites because it's one of the funnier ones of the volume. And I think speaking of resistance and resilience, I think humor is a fantastic form of mm-hmm. resistance mm-hmm. and of... Um, laughing rather than crying mm-hmm. it's a great thing to do you know, to answer your earlier question i've been learning that from um other ukrainian refugees in my life as well it's 
wonderful to laugh rather than fall down on the earth and give up. Mm-hmm. But in, anyway, <laughs> yeah, would you mind reading? The All-Russian Military March. March. The All-Russian Military March looks like an evil marsh. Wicked things crawl across the square, their treads spread-eagled, one goosebumpy death machine after another, designated for the destruction of enemy personnel. Veterans watch from their brotherly graves, all those crutches, all those portraits, thinking, wouldn't it be better if they painted a bench or fried some chicken? Instead, they dressed up some kids like soldiers and gave them ribbons, orange and black, striped like a potato beetle. A young girl marches by in a miniskirt. If you look up from below, you'll see her khaki panties, a green cap on her head like an upside-down canoe. The girl picks at a massive steel insect with her nails, the insect shaped like a cannon. She finds what she was groping for, a barrel, a trunk, a warhead. It smells like cafeteria. The veterans sigh. Whatever, we're gone. Who cares if that excuse for a priest blesses a regiment with holy water, or if it all becomes an abomination or dumb cattle mooing? Just give us peace, even a moment of peace. Yeah, it's a beautiful poem, but um, also um, it uh, reminded me of one of the questions that I put down for myself, uh, that one of those things that Lyudmila Hersonska probably prompts us to ask, what's the point of this distraction? What, 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 why is it happening? And I don't feel like there is an answer here. Uh, of course, there is some abstract answer on some maybe metaphysical, um, philosophical level. But uh, um, I felt like that question was not answered to me. And it's absolutely natural, I would say. We cannot answer that question. What's the point of this destruction? Uh, my understanding is that uh, you keep following um, Ludmila Hersonska's poems, which are still being posted on Facebook. Uh, do you think that there will be another collection of poems that would be somehow connected to this volume? Yeah, I certainly hope that that will be the case. Um... Uh, looking forward to the opportunity for sure. First, we need to push this baby out into the world and hopefully introduce it to as many audiences as possible. Well, but thank you so much for joining me today and thank you so much for translating this uh, powerful uh, volume and making it available to our Anglophone uh, readers and, of course, for uh, maintaining this awareness of um, the destruction that is being done to Ukraine and its people today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us and for your great questions. Really, really enjoyed it. Today I spoke with Olga Lipshin, Lev Friedman, Andrew Jenko about Lyudmila Herstoinska's Today is a Different War, published by Aerosmith Press in 2023. Thank you for listening to New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.